The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. This one is titled Starquakes. I've got as a co-host here Matt Kirschen. Matt, welcome back to Star Talk. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be back. Yeah, so you solicited questions about like stars and starquakes from I'm I'm very excited about this topic and so are the listeners. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of your Patreon patrons have responded to this one and we're going to try and get through as many of these as possible but uh Well, I, I don't I, know I a damn thing about I will try. I, I don't know a damn thing about starquakes. So <laughs> we to, we Yeah, I know. I'm excited. I mean, I live in California where earthquakes are a problem, so I know how to deal with those. But I don't. If you're in a, involved in a star quake, do you is getting under a table still enough, or how do we? Deal yeah, with we're it gonna to... we're gonna find out for sure. So our guest with the expertise we need is Connie Arts. I think I pronounced that right, Connie. Welcome to Star Talk. Hi, glad to be here. Excellent. Now you you're you're in from Belgium and the Netherlands. You have a, a dual appointment, one as the professor. Uh, of astrophysics at, let me get this straight, in uh, Leuven, Belgium, and it's yeah. KU, that's uh, Catholic University, it's like Catholic University in yeah. Leuven, is that correct? The, the, yeah, KU Leuven, just don't worry about it. Leuven. <laughs> <laughs> KU Leuven. Leuven, yeah. Leuven okay. is a small college town in Belgium, so that's Excellent. where I'm from. Excellent, and in the Netherlands, you're a professor of astroseismology at Raudbout uh, Radboud University uh, in the Netherlands. And so the fact that that's even a title to hold, astroseismology, uh, yeah. says how far we've come uh, mm -hmm. in just the, 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 um, the specification within the broader field of astrophysics. And I think this is, this is just delightful. And your expertise is stellar astrophysics, stellar structure and evolution. These are two favorites of mine uh, professionally, but I never really thought about seismology in anything other than earth and so uh, what first tell us what is astro seismology well it's the study of the seismology of stars now as you say uh, you have well, to do better than that okay. yeah i know i know give me a chance right give me a chance <laughs> so we all know earthquakes that the earth has a whole uh, crust you know uh, it's not pleasant to have earthquakes, but it's fantastic to have starquakes. Now, stars are hot gaseous spheres, and they also move up and down. And we can use these uh, starquakes to learn what's inside the star. It's the only way to know 
how to look inside a star. And that's just like, like seismologists of the earth, you know, they, they are the only happy people uh, when the earth, uh, the earth is uh, quaking, let's say. Why? Because the earthquakes create waves, they travel into the, the, the planets, they bounce back at the iron core and seismographs detect it. And then we can do all sorts of uh, fun physics uh, and chemistry of our planet. And we do the same, but then for stars. Okay, Matt, I think Connie just said that while cities are burning and everyone is dying, geologists yeah. are delighted yes. that they have <laughs> earthquake. Absolutely, yeah. I'm hiding under a table while my pets are going crazy and, uh, and seismologists are like the data. What beautiful data we're getting right now. <laughs> the data. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm confused though, because when I think of an earthquake, I have a very simple uh, understanding of it that you have a rigid crust that is under pressure and under tension, and then it spontaneously gives way, and then you get an abrupt shift, and that's an earthquake. But when I think of stars, they are fluids. They're gaseous fluids. So what could possibly be quaking if you don't have anything solid to build up the tension that then gets released? Yeah, so that's a bit different because the, the star quakes are happening all the time because it's, it's a gas. And so you have motions, right? Up and down motions, but also more complex, uh, motions. And if you, if you, if you, you know, press a gas and then release it, it creates sound waves. Huh? That's a bit like music in a theater hall. So for me, stars are three dimensional musical Halls, concert halls, right? Wow. And so uh, the nice thing is that starquakes are always there. Luckily for us humans, the earthquakes die out quickly, right? And, and but, they're rare, relative. I mean, they're rare in the sense of the ones that do serious damage are rare. But yeah. I, as I understand it, there are actually earthquakes of even very small magnitude almost all the time. I think that's correct. Yeah, is that that's right? correct because anybody in nature vibrates. Yeah, and so. Yeah. Yeah, stars do that all the time and they do it permanently, which for us astrophysicists is great because we can measure the up and down motion. Yeah. Why? Because it gives changes in the, in the temperature of the star. And so the, the brightness of the star changes as a function of time. And then we have our seismographs that measure these changes as a function of time. Yeah. And your seismographs are also, I, I, you, you implied there that they're sensitive to those boundaries where temperature changes. That's right. right. Because your sound would get reflected, or your, your pressure wave, which we're calling sound, would, would get reflected or bent in a different way, and you, you use that to model the in total interior structure of the star. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. But, yeah, like, um, we cannot hear these sound waves with our ears. Huh? <laughs> so we see the brightness variations because the sound is only propagating there where there is gas. And between us and the star, you know, there's nothing. It's empty, right? So we can't literally hear the, the frequencies of the waves, but we see the up and down motion. And so that is actually connected. The frequency of these sound waves created by these up and down motions is connected to the physics and also the chemical composition of the star in its mm. interior. So we can't literally dive into the stellar concert hall but we can measure the frequencies 
from a distance, let's say. But but right. if you could, yeah. you would yeah. hear all of these. Yeah, sounds, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's that's fantastic. Sometimes I give uh, lectures for uh, musical artists, and then they are all totally fascinated uh-huh. about this <laughs> about these sounds. Like you know, so we let me test this know. on Matt. So yeah. Matt, NASA is going to plan a mission to send astronauts to the sun to listen to these sounds, but it's, <laughs> it's dangerous, obviously. So they're going to go at night. Right. <laughs> you'd, you'd need your earplugs as well. I, you know, I go to loud concerts sometimes. I don't take any chances now. I'm getting old and my hearing's going. That, by uh, the way, I know, I know we haven't got into the questions yet, uh, but that actually is one of our questions from Lucas, uh, from listener Lucas, was actually about whether you can make that the heartbeat of stars into music. And yes. Yes. So you're yes. saying yes that you, yes. you can absolutely do. Oh that. my goodness! So has have people yes. done? So you so you sure. have a a portfolio of frequencies going on at different times in different locations. And so you get a clever musician to sort of take all of that bass material yeah. and figure out a way to listen to it. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we, we actually just uh, shift. the. I mean, each star has its own symphony, right? Depending on how big it is, how, how much mass it has, how old it is, it has its own symphony. But then we shift that global symphony into the audible range of humans. That's, that's called sonification. It's a whole mm. field by itself. And actually, wow. it allows blind people to be astronomers. I find that uh, I'm a very, uh, for me, inclusion is very important. So in this way, we can reach people who can't see, but they can hear the stars. But we have so to help them a little bit by shifting have to the audible a- range. Yeah. We have finally achieved the goals of the ancients. <laughs> by celebrating the music of the spheres. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's true. Oh, man. Okay. So that so that question already got asked, Matt. So that was who asked that? That was uh, that was Lucas from New West who asked that question. And uh, where is what is New West? What is that? I, I don't know. It just says New West. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> but Lucas also proceeds it by saying, "I have a geek kind of question," which. I don't think you need to proceed any questions to start yeah, talk with well, that. Which is a geek safe space here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to preface it. But New West, I mean, I live in New York. And, yep. you know, <laughs> there's... there's Formerly New just, Amsterdam. Just south of New England. Yep. I've never heard of New West. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's California after it breaks away from the San <laughs> Andreas Fault. Just floating <laughs> off. Just floating <laughs> off into the Pacific. <laughs> so why don't we get some more questions here? This is great. Now that we have some foundation for yeah what? we've got some awesome ones so some of them have already some of them you've already kind of answered and i'm sure that'll happen as we go along but i'll try and get as many ones in so james smith from indianapolis says what is the largest recorded quake not found here on earth and also do all planets have plates that shift like earth a couple of people have asked that question as well whether all interesting other so let's start there plates. first you know we know earth is geologically active because there's like volcanoes and plate tectonics so uh, where else in the solar system might do that before we get back to the sun? Oh, well, you know, all planets will have quakes. I mean, any any body in nature quakes. I, I was banging, I was about to bang the table here, but I will not do that. But and the table would also have, uh, you know, quakes. So they damp out quickly, depending on whether you have a gaseous planet or an, a crust-like planet like Earth. So Jupiter... Saturn, all the big uh, gaseous planets in our solar system, they also have uh, quakes. Wait a minute, Connie. You're Planetary saying quakes. every sound anywhere is a quake to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's true. You do. 
<laughs> so a guitar is ba- what what we're doing right now is kind of causing the the, the tiniest of tiniest quakes by we're quaking yes, through we, Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, of course, uh, you're you're creating uh, sound waves. So. Well, oh well, my god! Listener Woody also yeah. asked, by the way, on this same topic, what what different would the ice giants experience quakes? I guess you've said the answer is yes. And what possible differences would there be between Earth, water, ice, frozen, methane, and nitrogen quakes? Yeah. So so the the right. That's a bit. Wait, just a quick thing. It, yeah. So we've got ice in Uranus, Neptune. Uh, the ice giants, and we've got sort of uh, gases in Jupiter, Saturn. We've mm-hmm. got Earth's crust here, mm-hmm. and so uh, presumably, uh, you've uh, Connie, you've got some portfolio of who makes what kind of sound under yes. what conditions, so that you yeah. can decode what you hear. Is that correct? That's correct. And so the, the, the frequency of the sound waves of all these heavenly bodies is really determined by the density of the object, right? And so stars are gases and their density is very different from the density here on Earth. You're very low, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or in Jupiter, yeah. So uh, by measuring the frequencies of the quakes, we know quite directly how big the object is and what its density is. And if you know these two, then you know the mass. So wait, that, wait, but Connie, that's you the said basic that, tools, right? You said, you said that on the sun, you, you measure the quakes because some parts of the sun get brighter relative to others because they're hotter. How do you do yeah. that with just a planet sitting out there in space? Yeah, we need to send uh, some space mission oh. there to oh. come closer and to be able to see this. And so for stars, we also, I mean, this, this is a booming research field in astrophysics. Why? Because we recently had the luck of uh, being able to measure the brightness variations with satellites. Yeah, we, we don't have a seismograph that we can put there, literally, like for the Earth, but we sent instruments that, that measure these tiny variations in the gas, you know? Okay, so it, it, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an old, old world astrophysicist. So when you say we make these measurements by going there, that's yeah. cheating. Okay? That's cheating. Yeah, yeah. We can't you, go there. That's tabletop science at yes. that level. Yeah. If if you get to go there. Yeah. But but you're saying it's the same kind of features in a gaseous planet. Some parts will be a little warmer or cooler than others on the surface, and that'll tell you that that'll give you seismic information about what's going on inside. Yeah, as, as, as soon as the density changes, for whatever reason, density changes give pressure waves, and these are sound waves, right? Uh, okay. And, and so right. um, the follow-up part from, uh, from James, what's the largest recorded quake not found on Earth? Oh, well, we have the, the slowest quake in a star, like it can take... Several, several months in, in, in period. Well, for the sun, it's five minutes, huh, by the way. For those who don't know, yeah, the solar quakes go up and down, create sound waves with periods of about a few minutes, five minutes at their strongest. So for a very big blue supergiant star, it takes months before the quake went up and down. So just to be clear, the normal frequencies we listen to are hundreds and thousands of cycles per second. And yeah. that's, that's what our, our eardrum and brain will yeah. record. And you're saying these are cycles every five minutes. 
Yes, and that's or even, even fast. Uh, or even every month. So that's yes. why you have to shift, shift it them. back to our exactly. audio range. Yeah. It, otherwise, we don't. We would never even know it was happening. That's right. These are slow waves to human standards. Right. You, I, you'd vaporize first, but yeah. right. <laughs> while you were vaporizing, you would not know you were in the middle of a star quake. I that's say. right. So that's wild for me. So incredibly slow, but presumably hugely energetic. Uh, yes, that's that's true. Yeah. So the the energy of each wave can be quite tremendous, but that also de depends on the type of, of waves that you're dealing with. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And we're to come back to more star quakes. Something was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but to Connie, everything's a quake. So yes. we'll get more into that in this episode of Star Talk Cosmic Queries when we return. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're 
We're back. Star Talk Cosmic Queries. We're talking about Star Quakes. And my co-host, Matt Kirshen. Matt, I, where can I find you on the internet? Well, you can find my podcast, Probably Science. I, I start with the Neil episode. That's always a nice place to start. <laughs> and, uh... I was a guest once on your Probably Science. I just thought by now it would have been called Certainly Science. I just I we... thought... It was evolutionary, you but know what? apparently the, not. The, the longer we do the show, the more probably it gets. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to descend through possibly to... Uh, oh, <laughs> to probably but, and, not. Okay. And then I, I'm on Twitter, at Matt Kirshen, and uh, technically on Instagram, but I'm very rarely there. Okay, Kirshen, K-A-R-S-H-E-N. And we have as our in-house expert right now on Starquakes professor of astro seismology in the netherlands but right now uh connie arts i think i pronounced that right <laughs> is visiting new york city at yes. a place called the flat iron institute uh, which is in the flat iron section of manhattan and very cool science is happening there all manner of science it started with sort of math and astrophysics but it's it's spilling into biology and and computer science where very deep problems that need high-performance computing and clever people to solve them are invited to then uh, gather their talents and try to solve the secrets of the universe. And Connie Arts is on sabbatical uh, this year. So Connie, we're delighted to have you as part of this podcast. Very grateful to be here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've got some more questions. But before we do that, I just want to be clear that most people's understanding of the word quake is, I think, built in is that it's abrupt and short-lived. That's mm -hmm. kind of built into our life experience mm -hmm. with a quake. Mm -hmm. And But we're now hearing about quakes on completely different timescales. Should yeah. you have invented another word? to describe a quake that m moves on the scale of days or months rather than seconds or minutes? Sure, and I use the term starquakes for popular lectures, but actually in, in our uh, professional life, we, we speak of stellar oscillations. So they're oh. global oscillations, they're smooth, they're uh -huh. properly behaved. So for stars, it's a bit uh, less abrupt than for uh, earthquakes, let's say. Okay. 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 So if on Earth they were Earth oscillations, then Matt, you, maybe you wouldn't have to hide under a desk or in the, the structural beams of the house. I would just ride it out. I'd, uh, just ride it out? Surf it out? You keep, surf it out. Keep the knees yeah. perflexed, keep, keep your core stable, yeah. that's, that's all you need. But you would get seasick all the time, you know, because they would <laughs> yes. always be there, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lies on the horizon. That's the yeah. secret. Always look out the window. Don't try and I look at the objects inside. Yeah. Like, take me surfing one day out in Los Angeles <laughs> and teach me. Oh, I, I, I'm a terrible surfer. But, uh, oh, okay. So, Matt, what do we else, else do we have for Connie? We've got some great questions. By the way, just a side note, I, I love when we have topics like this, when it's something that is close to Neil's wheelhouse, but just outside it. When it's when it's like in your field of astrophysics, but something that you've never really encountered. They're my favorite episodes. Because you like looking how much of an idiot I am. That's what well, you're saying. I, 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 lo I love it. When you, yeah, when you're just, just at the edge of Neil's knowledge. It's my favorite. It's... <laughs> It's, it's the best. Uh, well, I, those are my favorite episodes where I learn stuff. So absolutely, this is absolutely. Good. This uh, is good. So um, I'm going to combine these two questions. I like to do this because because uh, two. I want to hear their names anyway. Yes. Absolutely, Dylan and uh, from NAU in Flagstaff, and Alejandro Reynoso from Monterey. 
have both asked about what we can actually learn from the oscillation of stars. Dylan says, can we predict its age and or understand the core? And also, do all stars oscillate or just dying stars, supermassive stars, main sequence stars? And then Alejandro says, what have you learned from analyzing star quakes that you couldn't learn with other methods? So basically, they're both asking, what specifically is it that we can learn from these quakes? And yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tighten that question and say, what are you learning that we didn't otherwise figure out through other means? Okay. If there's one word that I have to ask to that question, it is rotation of stars. That's more than one word, but internal rotation of stars. You know, and why is that? Let me give the analogy with music again. So we have sound waves that are happening inside a star, but the, the gas in the star is rotating around, right? And what do you get when you put a, a, a musician in a theater play and you make the podium rotate just for the fun of it as a surprise to the musician? <laughs> the whole you get thing... pissed off musicians. Yeah. That's what you get. <laughs> Exactly. I like that experiment, no. actually. You can really do that. But the symphony is destroyed. That's what the audience would say. Now, for me, as an astroseismologist, the frequencies of the waves get shifted, right? And the so Doppler we, shift. It, it, yeah, they get shifted because of the extra motion due to the rotation. And we can measure that. And we're not measuring that at the surface of the star, but in the inside the star where the, the star quake has its strongest energy, right? And so what we have come to realize is that the theory of how stars evolve, relying on how they rotate in their interior, is quite off. It's, it's not very good. And that's not surprising, right? Because we could only measure, before we had star quakes, we could only measure the rotation of the star at its external layer. Like for the sun, you see the, you see the tiny little dark spots of the sun rotating around if you're patient. Every 26 days, you see them back in your line of sight. But so the sun rotates with a period of about 26 days, but that's just the outer layers. It doesn't say at all how it rotates in its interior. So if you have no information, what can you do? Well, you think, well, it won't be that different. You just right? assume it's the same, right? You I mean, assume why, it's the I mean, same. Everything else rotates as an, as a kind of a, a unified object, why yeah. would I even think some lower level would rotate at a different rate? Well, the stars have many more surprises than us uh, astrophysicists have imagination. Huh? So what? <laughs> yes. What a smack. Oh, Matt, did you hear? Matt, yes. Matt, yes. did I just hear this woman yes. correctly here? <laughs> yeah, yes. I stand by it. I'm, I'm on Team Star on this one. <laughs> and, that, and that was a smackdown right there. Yes, okay. I always say the stars are right. The theory is wrong if they if it doesn't match <laughs> with each other, right? Uh -huh. So thanks to the frequency shifts of these waves, we can now measure how stars rotate around. And why is that important? Well, if they rotate faster or slower, then their material gets mixed in a different way. Yeah, uh, that's also something you can imagine if you take the analogy with. Coffee drinkers, you know, if you, if you like coffee with milk, you pour milk into your coffee and you don't wait until, you know, until everything is mixed because then the coffee is cold and it doesn't taste well anymore. No, you take a spoon and you rotate your coffee. In my terminology, that is saying you bring angular momentum to the coffee cup. And what, why do you do that's that? That's what everyone says when they're having coffee <laughs> at that's, Starbucks. That's what they everybody that. does without <laughs> saying it. And that's because everybody prefers well-mixed coffee with yep. milk 
And I'm, so, I'm assuming at the yeah. Flatiron Institute that it, the, just the coffee station there has angular momentum implements. Just... Yes. <laughs> How much yeah. angular momentum do, would you like on your coffee this morning? <laughs> yes, just... yeah. Do you want do you want a metal angular momentum implement or a, one of the wooden straight ones? It's, uh... yeah. <laughs> well. We could do an, a, an experiment of how people do that. Huh? But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the diversity of human beings uh, taking their spoons will be uh, large. And in stars, there's a whole range of internal rotation frequencies that we have measured. In, uh, we have about 2,000 stars now for which this has been measured by many groups in the world with astroseismologists. And so the life of the stars is really going... Uh, slower if I look at the measurements. You mean so, our estimates for their life expectancy need to be updated to have them live longer than we originally thought? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, particularly for the big massive stars. Is that Be because they're mixing more material into their core? Yeah, they're Giving mixing, them a little yeah. more lease on life? Yeah, and they, they get more uh, material into their inner part. And in the inner part of the stars is actually... A, a nuclear reactor for me, huh? because the the their the simplest uh, uh, constituent, which is hydrogen, is turned into helium by nuclear fusion. And stars are masterpieces in that. But if you bring more hydrogen into that area where it's hot and dense enough, then the star can live longer. And so the rotation affects how much nuclear fuel you bring inside its its interior actually that was about wow. to be the opposite of what i would have guessed because I, I was wondering whether the sort of the stirring effect would have sped up the fusion reaction by kind of you know you can increase the speed of a chemical reaction i know that's different from a nuclear reaction by by stirring the chemicals together or by increasing the energy in there but is, you're saying it's the opposite because it's bringing more fuel in from the outside yeah that's right yeah right. so once the right. nuclear burning is ongoing, the nuclear fu fusion in stars is stable. Huh? Uh, they, stars are, are, can do that very well. Huh? We humans can't do that here. Now, it's, everything uh, I know yeah. about the nuclear furnace says that it's pretty small relative to the size of the star itself. Do your waves give you enough information about tiny areas like, a, like the nuclear core? Yeah, well, tiny. It's 10% of the mass huh, that they typically takes part in the nuclear fusion. So it's, it's still 10%. Huh? It's not Of the mass, small. even if it's physically small, it's got, yeah. it's got a lot of mass going yeah, on. Yeah, because okay. the density is very high. And so if, right. you, if you change that 10% to, say, 12%, that sounds like, you know, it's only 2%, you know, but that's a lot of fuel huh, that yes. you bring into your nuclear reactor. And so right. then... Right. And increase yeah. the life by yeah. at least 20%, perhaps, or, or yeah, you think, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it can really change the lifetime of the star. So that's that's uh, so to come and, back, and Matt, if yeah. you were in the center of a star, you'd be dense too. I just wanted to tell you that. Okay. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> but, uh, so we got uh, more questions, Matt. Bring we them on. We do. Uh, Aziz from Saudi Arabia says, uh, "I I wonder if it's possible for a star to have a star quake so strong caused by, for example, nuclear fission or fusion happening or abnormally fast." or caused by any other reason to lose mass? I thought I'd ask that one because we're already talking about fusion. You know, in the formation of stars in the galaxy, you can get shock waves across a gas cloud that's otherwise mining its own business, and it can trigger gravitational collapse and other interesting features. So I'd love that question, Connie. So mm -hmm. are starquakes just the product of what's going on, or are they a participant in causing what's going on. Yeah, Ooh. so you can have all sorts of cause, uh, reasons why stars have these oscillations, right? And they can indeed be caused by the, by the 
the fierce turbulence in the in the core of a very massive star because it's you know it's uh, we call that convection so turbulent motions and they create waves also because again they they make the gas you know compress and expand but there are also other reasons why stars can have star quakes think of the the earth moon system and tides well half of the stars or even more if you go to higher masses they live together with two and then they have tidal well, binary forces. star system binary just star like system. in that yeah. scene in star wars where Luke comes out, is it the, the sand planet? And he sees a double sunset. Uh, that's the only accurate science in the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. You know, yeah. But anyway, okay, so what happens there? So you, got, yeah, you have a, you you have have a gravitational stars, tidal dance? And they, that's right. They, they rotate around each other and they pull. They give a tidal pull, right? And so you could also say that, you know, for me, Tidal forces are, are actually forced oscillation. You know, I, I say everybody oscillates <laughs> in nature. So um, when the stars are close enough together, the tidal oscillations, as I call them, uh, are very strong, can be very strong. So that's another reason why uh, stars can have uh, stars. So these are like a tidal yeah. bulge yeah, in the exactly. direction of, the, of yeah. the object responsible for yeah. it. Yeah. See, see, in my older years, I, I have a tidal bulge as well. <laughs> <In my laughs> <head section. laughs> I'm, I'm watching for that just to yeah. see what I can do about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to prevent it, but we you like it when we start it. All right, Matt, give me some more. Quentin from Switzerland says, uh, and I don't know what I don't know what uh, Quentin's referring to. So hopefully, one of you two can fill me in. Says, do you need more data to exactly figure out what happened with Betelgeuse? recently is it oh, pronounced Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice it seems, yes it is pronounced Beetlejuice like the film but spelled differently it seems pretty unlikely that we will witness a similar event in the near future so what is it what did happen I, I gotta lead off with this and then we'll get the actual answer from Connie okay I heard but Betelgeuse is one of the brightest stars in the night sky it's a important star in one of the most dominant constellations of all 88 dominant in size and and appearance is orion orion is visible in both the northern and southern hemispheres because it straddles the equator on the sky and so there's this star betelgeuse one of the biggest red, baddest red giants in the known universe and someone told me do you realize betelgeuse is getting dimmer i said no what 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 and i looked up and i went <gasps> it was <laughs> Because my whole life, Betelgeuse was a certain brightness relative to other stars in the constellation. I cannot communicate to you my loss of breath in the moment I looked up and I say, what is happening? Is this, you know, is this, <laughs> is the seventh seal broken? Is there some, is this something biblical? So I, Connie, I want you to know, yeah. I, 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 I nearly freaked out. Oh. So what happened to Betelgeuse a year ago when it just got mysteriously dim? Like it was it went to less than half its normal brightness and that had never been observed ever in any time anybody's been looking at the star. So it, we're gonna blame you for this, Kyle. What, what happened? <laughs> well, Betelgeuse is behaving normally at the star. It's, you know, it's a super giant, right? It's a very big star. And so these stars are nearing the end of their life. And so they're, they're puffing up their material and they're blowing it away, so to speak, right? And so when material gets lost from the star, well, then for us, it, the star is obscured because it's in between the supergiant and us, there's material that is being expelled. 
Now, for me, as an astroseismologist, that's a bit annoying, that behavior, because <laughs> Betelgeuse has star quakes, but all that material that's being expelled makes it hard to still measure them. It's blocking yeah. your view. It's blocking the view. And that's also the reason why, for us, it's difficult to do astroseismology from ground-based telescopes. You know, the stars are up there. They, people say they twinkle, right? But that twinkling that you see with your eyes, that's not the star. That's actually the starlight that is being perturbed by the Earth atmosphere, right? And so it's a bit similar, but then, then the twinkling of Betelgeuse is caused by the material it has expelled. But it does have also oscillations, and these oscillations can tell us how old it is and how big it is, etc. All right, it's so, Betelgeuse ready to blow because we think that's a, a supernova well, category star. Is it? Yeah. That peop I, I said, oh my gosh. That something bad is going to happen. It's going to so. happen. It's going to. Ha it's not bad. No, it's not bad because it will explode eventually. But that can take still some while. Eh? So you know, you don't want to <laughs> go and look every day because you may need to have some patience. Like Connie, we're trained to yeah. think that if something blows up, it's bad. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but these guys are like it's exciting. This is more data. This yes. is. Uh, it's more data. Okay. Yes. All right. This is like the the. This is like the rocket launchers who, the rocket blows up on the launch pad. You say, oh, are you upset by that failure? No, that was an experiment <laughs> rich in data. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So. yeah. Well, but I'm saying it's good because it enriches the galaxy with metals, with carbon, with oxygen, with iron. And, you know, we need that as human beings. So. Okay, just, just to be clear, uh, Matt, astrophysicist, are, uh, we are very lazy with regard to the periodic table of elements. And so any element that's not yeah. hydrogen or helium, we call it a metal. But this <laughs> freaks out chemists. We're self-aware of this bad vernacular, yeah. but it, the point is 98% of the universe is hydrogen and helium. And, so, and the rest is just other stuff. So we just, just we just experimental era. It's just yeah. <laughs> so we just call them metals, and yeah. I just I'm just covering Connie's ass right here. Yeah. When she said the, the metals such as carbon, right? No, she's being fully astrophysical in in, uh, in 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 the referencing. So, but but Connie, you speak of this um, this this blockage of ejected gas. Like, of course, it would do that. Yet it hasn't done it in the thousands of years we've been observing the night sky and mapping its brightness relative to other stars. So do you have an account for yeah, why well, it's yeah. doing it now and it's not doing it regularly? Oh, but you see, we astrophysicists have to be very patient because the timescales, when for stars to do this kind of stuff, you know, that's like hundreds of thousands of years, you know, and... And okay, you, so you're yeah. saying if we see it only yeah. once in a few thousand years, yeah, that could normal. be a regular interval. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. She got out of that one, Matt. I think <laughs> it's just annoying that we human beings only live for like 100 years, like at if, most, if we, yeah. if we are lucky. Yeah, and so we're that's very lucky. Uh, in a, in an astronomical time scale, that's that's instantaneous. That's instantaneous. very very short. Yeah. All right, we got to take our, our last break, and when we come back, more astro seismology with a professor of astro-seismology, Connie Arts, on StarTalk Cosmic Queries. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. 
the longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. We're back for the third and final segment of Star Talk Cosmic Queries, the Astro Seismology Edition. <laughs> With our expert, a professor of astro seismology, Connie Arts, and she's on sabbatical now at the Flatiron Institute in New York City which has gathered all manner of, of computational scientists in multiple fields where they not only compare notes with each other in their own field, but across disciplines, perhaps there's some cross-pollination that can lead to discoveries that wouldn't otherwise happen. And Connie, you are based in, uh, in the Netherlands and in Belgium. Uh, you have uh, two Correct. different appointments yes. that, of course, there's strong overlap in what they are, but uh, this is very cool that we have you here. We're borrowing you from Europe, uh, and uh, great to have you here in my hometown, New York City. So Matt, uh, we have a few minutes for a few more questions. Let's see how many more we can slip in. And these questions are from our Patreon members still, correct? They are, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so Kevin the Sommelier asks, uh, does asteroseismology coincide with the data we can get from the James Webb Space Telescope? Are we able to see those quakes in infrared? And then it Ooh, also I like asks, that. Yeah, and also then gives a wine recommendation. Oh, yeah, because I told him I would, not, I would not allow him to ask another question. If he's going to bill himself as a sommelier, there's got to be a recommendation. <laughs> so he question. recommends specifically for our, for our Belgian guest, uh, says, with moule frites, uh, Kevin recommends a bottle of Muscadet sur le Lagrange. So there we go. Thank you, Kevin, oh, for that. Okay, for that. it sounds like <laughs> a dessert wine. All right. Let, let the world know. Okay, we got the recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, so I love that question, Connie. I didn't even think to think about this because I'm I'm, I love stellar evolution, but I'm primarily a galaxies guy and a large-scale structure guy, which, which the James Webb Telescope is exquisitely tuned to observe the early universe. And it would never occur to me to imagine if it could be of use to you uh, in thinking about Starquakes. So, what? What? How does? How has your field uh, put your sort of hooks into the data of that telescope? Well, the James Webb is is fantastic, huh? but I would not uh, spend its time on starquakes. And so, let me explain why. You know, James Webb can pierce very deep into the early universe in the infrared. But what I need as a seismologist is really long-term measurements. And that's why we love the Kepler uh, mission of NASA and now the TESS mission and the future Plato mission because they're staring at stars for years without interruption. And so you don't want to spend James Webb on that because it has, as you say, so much other fantastic uh, extragalactic science to do. So I Interesting. don't want to hook on James Webb, right? Of course, at all times in, in our field, Matt, we're always um, judging whether you need one particular telescope for that task 
versus another telescope that might be either more available or less um, a, a cutting edge because the, you want the cutting edge telescope for the cutting edge science that's going to break open whole new fields typically. So yeah, I, I, that's a very important point that you're mentioning there, Connie. And But I, I want to also ask, that's part of the great computational challenge because if you have a lot of quakes of all different frequencies, short measurements cannot distinguish one from the other. Correct? You need a very yeah. long baseline so that you can tease out of the data frequencies that are represented enough to know that they're real. Did, did I characterize that yeah, that's, accurately? Yeah, that's, that's very well described. And in practice, you know, the, the precision of the frequency goes as one over the total uh, time base of the measurements. Yeah? So if Kepler measures four years, well, that's one over four years in, in, in frequency resolution, as we call it, capacity to unravel these, these star quake frequencies. So we, 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 need, we need to be very, astroseismologists are very patient people. So what you're saying is if you, uh, so I like that. So if you measure something for four years, you can't really say much about frequencies that occur on two-year time scales that's because right. you would have only had one or two cycles in there yeah. and that's not enough to even know if they're real yes so you need enough cycles in your baseline of data to be able to say yeah that's real yes it's repeating and it's reliable yeah that's right and so that's why we need these long time series and we can only do the work once we achieve that so we need dedicated space missions to achieve that and James Webb is just not one of them. I got it. <laughs> Again, uh, interesting. Please uh, leave James Webb to the people who need it. And I'm okay. not one of them, right? <laughs> That's very magnanimous <laughs> of you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just to up update people, so Kepler was a telescope that looked in one part of the sky looking mm -hmm. for, um, for Earth-like planets around sun-like stars, studying them for a long period of time. TESS, the, what's that? That's an acronym for what? I forgot. Uh, transiting. Exoplanet. Exoplanet surface. survey. Satellite. Satellite. Thank you. Yeah. So TESS will see the entire sky, but not quite to the depth and space that Kepler did. And yeah. so now what is PLATO going to do? And is that also an acronym? Yeah. Well, PLATO stands for uh, uh, Planetary Transits and Oscillations of Stars. And PLATO is actually going to from, from, from construction combines the best of both worlds of the Kepler mission and the TASS mission in the sense that we need long-term observations, but we also need the whole, uh, not the whole sky, but a very, very big part of it to have copies of the Earth in our line of sight that rotate around copies of the sun. It takes a year for us to revolve. And so Plato yeah. has that built in. It's actually, <laughs> it's uh, 24 telescopes on one big platform. Oh my gosh! Okay, I didn't know that about it. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's uh, it's a multi-telescope instrument that is being built by the European Space Agency right now. I tend to call it my third child because I've been. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're you're deep with uh, involved in the design yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and objectives I, of it. Well, congratulations yeah, for that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. I want to see the data before I retire. Yeah. Kepler was a famous German mathematician who uh, coincided with Galileo, actually. Mm -hmm. in time, and we all heard of Plato, but I, I don't know any tests <laughs> to 
<laughs> so TESS was an acronym, but not an acronym of a famous yeah. scientist of the past. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you, they don't always work out the way you, no. you need well, to. Yeah. Just as long as the machinery works for us, that's atrocious. You don't care what the hell you call it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. so Matt, keep it going. What do you have? I, I am going to try and get let's through as many round. of these questions as possible. I am going to try and combine let's four test different... Let's see if she can do a lightning round. Here we go. We're combining four questions. See. They said it couldn't be done, but four different questioners uh, between... Because a lot of people have asked about the effect of uh, sunspots on starquakes and how they affect Earth. So Charles Mako asks how they affect starquakes. Um, Trevor Mills says... How close would a nearby star have to be for a starquake to be considered dangerous for Earth? And then Sarah Rosen says, how big of a CME would it take for the sun's gravity to be negatively affected? And Gina Martin says, why didn't the one, the starquake back in 2004 wipe us out? I've read that it released more energy than our own sun would admit in 150,000 years. So Okay, so let, let me tighten all those up. So, so, so Connie, uh, clearly there are quakes going on all the time, and mm -hmm. I presume that a CME, a coronal mass ejection, is itself detectable as some kind of quake activity. So, uh, and of course, sunspots are measures of the mm -hmm. activity of the sun. So, uh, but you haven't mentioned uh, uh, solar flares or, or coronal mass ejections or sunspots yet, not much in this conversation. So what role do they play in all of this? Oh, well, the role they play is they, 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 they disturb the periodic oscillations of the sun, but it's not bad for us. Why not? Because a coronal mass ejection or 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 far spots that rotate around, you know, they they do not give the same signal in in the periodicity of the quakes. I'm quaking my microphone right now. Um, so um, you know, a coronal mass ejection is an abrupt event. It's more like an earthquake, you could say. It happens and it disappears, right? It doesn't disturb us finding uh, the five-minute oscillations of the sun, which are always there. Yeah, they get disturbed okay. abruptly, but then they continue and they continue and they continue all the time. So for us, you know, we can we can unravel the signal of star spots, of mass ejections, even for stars other than the sun, from the always. Smooth periodic oscillation. So, how about the dangers that they might pose if you do have a coronal mass ejection that yeah. happens to head towards us? Yeah. So the Earth is protected by a magnetic field eh, that protects us from all these uh, high energetic particles falling in uh, uh, on our planet, and other stars are too far away. So, I mean, it's only a matter of, of the solar quakes. Um, they are not dangerous for us. The, the coronal mass ejections they disturb our electronics every once in a while, right? But, uh, you know, that's not a periodic oscillation that I would call uh, solar quakes, right? Yeah, I forgot that you yeah. enjoy events like that, even if they mess with our computers. Okay. <laughs> that's how we, that's how we started. That's, I, yeah, yeah, I forgot yeah. that. I learned yeah. that earlier in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So that almost counts as a lightning round, Matt, because she answered three questions in one reply. So yeah, did. Yeah. let's see if we can get a few more in before we call it. Ja yeah, James here. Allen from Brisbane in Australia says, uh, could a star quake large enough theoretically cause a star to tear apart and would descend a high radiation blast like a supernova? What could we learn such things from our own star? Uh, a star quake would not rip apart uh, a star because it's really a smooth, nice uh, periodic variability. You know, the, the biggest star quakes in terms of expansion and contraction, let's say, 
I can make the star become bigger and smaller by about 10% in its radius, let's say, uh, but not make it explode. That's another phenomenon. Uh, okay. Uh, Again, that's people yeah. thinking that a quake is a spontaneous bad thing. And yeah. No, for it's you, a fantastic, all, smooth it's fantastic. fantastic smooth thing. It's fantastic smooth thing. Well, yeah. on that same note, uh, Connor Holm from Squim, Washington says, is it possible to predict where and when a starquake will occur? And if so, what's the largest predicted starquake and how much bigger is it compared to the largest recorded one? Well, starquakes happen all the time. I keep repeating that. Huh? So, so let, me ask, yeah. let me ask it differently then. What variety of your oscillations carries the most energy? Um, well, the, the, the simplest starquakes are radial oscillations, you know, up and down and up and down. So everything is expanding and contracting while keeping spherical symmetry. So that's about the, the you know, the largest energetic uh, it can get. And that's, for me, just a simple oscillation because it's and a And that's what gives us variable stars, I guess, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Cepheids, Aurorae, yeah, stars. Yeah, I mean, I, what, it's half a yeah. star. I mean, some huge fraction of stars in the night sky are variable, presumably for this reason. And I heard when I was in graduate school, um, Connie, that if you looked at every star close enough with, mm -hmm. with sharp enough data, mm -hmm. they're all variable. Of course they are. Everything okay. oscillates, of course. <laughs> so we just have to draw some arbitrary line of yeah. what we categor what we catalog as a variable star relative sure. to other stars. But really, to you, everybody's got action. Well, we're measuring the action up to parts per million. Yeah, there it is. Right? That's you got it. Parts per million. You got that's it. Okay, that, Matt, let's get yeah. one more slip one more in before we got to call. All it. right. Uh, Margaret Defoe from Milwaukee says, why didn't our solar system go binary? And what is the smallest oh. and largest a star can get? So we're on more general questions about stars, I think. Yeah, 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 let's, yeah. Uh, let's do it. Hold aside <laughs> the largest and smallest. That's a whole other astrophysics <laughs> yeah. question. But Connie, what do you say about why the sun is alone when so many stars in the night sky are binary in multiple systems? Yeah, well, if you look at the, the, the star uh, with the mass of the sun, then half of them are in, in binary. So that means that half of them are alone. <laughs> So it's oh, okay. a toss. It's an equal toss, right? Yeah. So that's not so exceptional. But uh, if you if you go to stars, that's that, not the answer we yeah. were looking for. We wanted yeah. you to say we yeah. might have had a double and yeah. then it blew up. Yeah. We want a more sci-fi answer Ooh, here. We lost. Nah. It was originally a twin. We lost nah. one of them. It ate the other one in the womb. It uh, ate the ate the yeah. other one. I don't think so. I don't think so. But that happens frequently when you go to higher masses. Huh? If your star is born with ten to a hundred times more. Uh, mass than the sun was born with, well, then about 80% of the stars are uh, multiples, double stars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for mm -hmm. the sun, I think it's just a logical consequence of there only being half of them that live their life together. Right? Okay. All right. Luckily for us, huh, it wouldn't have been so nice here if it would have had been living next to a star that has exploded already. Not nice. Yeah, huh? yeah, there's, yeah. it has issues, but that's definitely yeah. an a yet-to-be-written sci-fi drama, yeah. I think, yeah. sci-fi action film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, whatever happened to the sun's twin, you got yeah. it. Well, Connie, it's been a delight to have you uh, on Star Talk. And like I said, uh, my city, my, my town is your town, so I'm a native of New York City. You're visiting for the sabbatical. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe we can get you up to the museum and give you a tour and 
possibly extract, extort a seminar from you for our astrophysics group. Uh, I love this city, so I'm very grateful that you're hosting me. Excellent, excellent. Matt, always good to have you, man. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And this has okay. been great. I've loved hearing about this stuff. We got to land this plane. So thanks for joining us on this episode of Star Talk Cosmic Queries, Starquakes. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.